Section 2 of the Shakespeare Apocrypha. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shakespeare Apocrypha by C.F. Tucker Brook. Section 2. Introduction, Part 1. The Shakespeare Apocrypha are indisputably the work of many hands, varying to the extreme of possibility in strength, in skill, and in manner. Not even the auteur Tieck, insatiable in his quest of literary curios, has had the hardihood to ascribe the entire number to the greatest of the Elizabethans. Yet unequal as they are in literary merit, these plays diverge still more, if possible, in subject matter, style, and general tone. Between certain individuals of the group, indeed, a few similarities may be noted, and a few comparisons drawn. But to attempt to treat the collection comprehensively and as a generic whole would be like undertaking a family history of Falstaff's motley company. These pseudo-Shakespearean plays are waifs and strays of the Elizabethan drama, brought together adventitiously from here, there, and everywhere, and with no common bound but that mighty name beneath whose broad influence they all seek shelter. Disconcerting though it is to the commentator, this infinite variety yet lends a special zest to the consideration of the pseudo-Shakespearean cycle. The plays are almost without exception interesting, but for very different reasons. Two of them, Arden of Feversham and the two noble kinsmen, and probably they alone, can rest their case boldly on their character as artistic wholes, and claim a position, when judged thus in their entirety, in the very first rank of the extra-Shakespearean drama. Three others, Edward III, a Yorkshire tragedy, and Sir Thomas More, failing either in dignity or in unity of outline, rise in parts to an equal height of poetry, a height where the question becomes less whether they are good enough for Shakespeare than whether they are like him. The remaining members of the group belong distinctly to a lower order, that is, except on the theory of apprenticeship work or the hastiest of retouching. Modern criticism can hardly admit their claim of Shakespearean origin to be even plausible. Yet there is scarcely any other dramatist of the period, save Marlowe and Ben Jonson, whose reputation would suffer by the fathering of plays like the London Prodigal, the Merry Devil of Edmonton, or the Puritan. As there is no difficulty in selecting the five best pseudo-Shakespearean dramas, so there be little hesitation in pointing out the worst. Literary and dramaturgical considerations would pretty certainly assign the position of discredit to Fair M. and Musidorus, productions that bear the mark of vagabondish on every feature. Yet for the reader of today these plays, distinctly the weaklings of the flock, possess an attractiveness of their own by very virtue of their dull impersonality, because they display so little of the individual author and so much of the vulgar dramatic taste. Such literary phenomena evolve themselves. They are not created. The writer does no more than drift down the current of theatrical convention and is doubtless as undiscoverable, certainly as little worth discovering, as the author of a political election song or a low melodrama of a generation ago. There is a curious dramatic irony in the fact that Musidorus and Fair M have been attributed by serious and respectable critics to the pen of Shakespeare. 
composed an utter disregard of probability and reason, with little poetry and less psychology, with no particular merit indeed, but the freshness that comes of complete, unintelligent conventionality, these performances made their appeal frankly to the groundlings. In the case of Musidorus, at least, we know that the appeal was enormously successful. This absurd play, with the merits and defects of a nursery tale, was acted by strolling companies everywhere till long after the Commonwealth, and passed through seventeen editions. Between 1598 and 1700, a record unequaled in the history of the pre-restoration drama, the only play of the pseudo-Shakespearean class which can at all compare with Musidorus in popularity with the early book publishers, is a considerably better comedy of similar kind, The Merry Devil of Edmonton. Six quarto editions of the latter are recorded between 1608 and 1655. It may be added as a commentary on Shakespeare knowledge after the Restoration, that Musidorus, Fair M., and The Merry Devil of Edmonton were bound together into a volume for the library of King Charles II, with the label Shakespeare, Volume One. The Shakespeare Apocrypha have been accumulating during three centuries. Each generation has attributed to the poet, in good faith or in fraud, tentatively or with conviction, the authorship of plays with which his names had not previously been connected. At the same time, certain plays once ascribed to Shakespeare have gradually disappeared from the list. As the actual authors have been discovered, or the absurdity of the ascription has made itself generally felt. In the present state of the case, the preparation of an adequate and practical catalogue of pseudo-Shakespearean plays is a matter of some difficulty. The epithet pseudo-Shakespearean no longer carries with it any presumption as to Shakespeare's authorship. Certain plays, a baker's dozen and all, have acquired a prescriptive right to the title, and must be mentioned in every list. Twenty or thirty others have at various times been proposed, with greater or less diffidence, but are still far from having established their position in the category. In regard to these last, each writer on the subject must decide for himself, which may be admitted into the doubtfully Shakespearean class, without offense to the rules of critical seemliness. The catalogue of a seventeenth-century bookseller, for instance, gives to Shakespeare three histories, Edward II, Edward III, and Edward IV. The second of these is universally regarded as one of the doubtful plays, but to admit into the group either of the others, known to be by Marlowe and Haywood respectively, would show an absurdly uncritical deference to the blunder or deceit of the bookseller the only mortal who has ever hinted at the connection. The long critical history of the Shakespeare Apocrypha divides itself into three pretty well-defined epochs, the first which lasted from the close of the 16th century till well into the 18th, was the age of purely unliterary attribution. Plays were stated on title pages, on the stationer's registers, or in booklists, to be by William Shakespeare, and there for a time the matter ended. No evidence, internal or external, was adduced in support of the attribution, and in few cases or none could the attributors by any stretch of the imagination be called literary critics. Such ascriptions are either the most authoritative of all, or they are utterly valueless. They may rest on personal knowledge or general contemporary report. 
they may on the other hand be no more than the fabrication of an ignorant or fraudulent bookseller it requires a considerable amount of boldness to deny the possibility of shakespeare's concern in the two noble kinsmen in the face of the title page of the first edition which declares it to be written by the memorable worthies of their time mr john fletcher and mr william shakespeare gentlemen and the evidence of the stationers registers and first edition of a yorkshire tragedy in favour of shakespeare's authorship of that play is perhaps even stronger because dating from the poet's lifetime yet an edition of sir john oldcastle in sixteen hundred likewise bears the words written by william shakespeare and this boast absurd on the face of it is proved mendacious beyond the shadow of a doubt by the record in henslow's diary of the actual authors monday drayton wilson and hathaway to sum up we have in the seventeenth century practically no evidence to indicate that shakespeare's dramatic activities extended beyond the list of canonical plays save that of printers publishers and stationers this evidence is worthy of serious consideration in case and only in case there are no prima facie cause to believe the witnesses grossly ignorant of the matter or dishonestly intent on palming off their spurious wares as the works of shakespeare the generation of capel stevens and malone ushered in the second epoch in the criticism of the doubtful plays they and their followers took a purely literary point of view judging the dramas on catholic lines and in general with accuracy and fairness though they suffered from inadequate comprehension of the peculiarly distinguishing features of shakespeare's art and placed a mischievous amount of confidence in such vanities as parallel passages and identical archaisms this tendency of criticism to which the apocryphal plays owe as much perhaps after all as to any that has so far succeeded it vanished in a burst of midsummer madness with the wild attributions of tieck and his romantic satellites for these last germans all and incapable of appreciating the delicacies of english style shakespeare appears to have meant rather a poetic principle than a poet dazed by the newly discovered and ill-understood brilliance of the shakespearean drama they tended to appropriate to the individual poets qualities of freshness and freedom which in truth were the common property of the age to this misconception and to the desire so characteristic of later german criticism to outstrip shakespeare's countrymen in magnifying his name is due without doubt tieck's championship of the genuineness of plays like musidorus and george agreen many of the utterances of tieck and schlegel concerning the doubtful plays form a crushing though unconscious parody of the general impressionist method inaugurated by Capel and Malone. The generation that followed Tieck saw the rise in England of the third tendency in the criticism of the Shakespeare Apocrypha. Here as elsewhere, the trend of the time was toward more exact knowledge, towards the careful consideration and classification of minutiae. For the first time, an attempt was made, and with a good measure of success, to establish definite criteria for style and spirit whereby the work of one dramatist might be distinguished from that of another. The most tangible, but surely not the sole result of this effort, is the development of the metrical tests. The new system, however, is at least as liable to abuse as that which it superseded. At its best, 
exact knowledge of metrical and dramatic details shows itself chastened and directed by broad literary appreciation as in professor spaulding's essay on the authorship of the two noble kinsmen at its worst as in some of mr flay's radical pronunciamentos the ultimately all-important considerations of tone and spirit are either slighted or forced into unwilling compliance with the results of statistical tabulation the following is a list as complete as seems practicable of the uncanonical plays which have been ascribed to shakespeare arranged roughly according to the date of attribution one the first part of sir john oldcastle sixteen hundred in this year appeared two editions one anonymous the other bearing the words written by william shakespeare two the london prodigal sixteen o five three a yorkshire tragedy sixteen o eight four and five the troublesome reign of king john in two parts the title page of the edition of sixteen eleven says written by w s h the earlier edition of fifteen ninety one was anonymous there can be little doubt that the public was meant to interpret w s h as william shakespeare and these words indeed appear in full on the title page of the third edition printed in sixteen twenty two six and seven the first part of the contention betwixt the two famous houses of york and lancaster and the true tragedy of richard duke of york these old plays were reprinted in sixteen nineteen for t pavier the title page asserting them to be written by william shakespeare gentleman eight the taming of a shrew ascribed to shakespeare in schmetwick's reprint sixteen thirty one the first edition is anonymous nine the two noble kinsmen attributed to fletcher in shakespeare on title page of the first edition sixteen thirty four ten the merry devil of edmonton entered by h mosley in sixteen fifty three as by shakespeare all the early editions are anonymous eleven and twelve henry the first and henry the second by w m shakespeare and robert davenport so entered september ninth sixteen fifty three thirteen the history of cardenio a play by mr fletcher and shakespeare entered september ninth sixteen fifty three it has been suggested that this play is identical with double falsehood number twenty five fourteen the second maiden's tragedy entered september ninth sixteen fifty three but read in manuscript and approved by sir george buck as early as october thirty first sixteen eleven printed eighteen twenty four this is one of the three survivors of warburton's famous collection of fifty-three manuscript plays the rest of which were sacrificed by his cook to make pie covers in this way perished the only known copies of numbers eleven twelve thirteen fifteen sixteen and seventeen which were likewise in warburton's possession the second maiden's tragedy was labelled by warburton a play by william shakespeare but has been attributed also to thomas goff and to chapman fifteen sixteen and seventeen the history of king stephen duke humphrey a tragedy iphis and ianth or a marriage without a man all these were entered on june twenty ninth sixteen sixty under shakespeare's name number sixteen may be a version of henry the sixth part two eighteen the arrangement of paris by peel ascribed to shakespeare in the catalogues of the booksellers kirkman winstonley 
and others, 1656 through 1670. 9. The Birth of Merlin. The first edition, 1662, claims William Shakespeare and William Rowley as joint authors. 20 and 21. Fair M. and Musidorus. A volume in Charles II's library, which contained these two plays in The Merry Devil of Edmonton, bore on the outside the title Shakespeare, Volume 1. 22, 23, and 24, The Puritan, Thomas Lord Cromwell, Lochran. The first edition of each of these plays gives the author merely as W.S. The earliest definite connection with Shakespeare is their inclusion, together with Old Castle, The London Prodigal, A Yorkshire Tragedy, and Pericles, in the third Shakespeare folio, 1664. 25. Double Falsehood, or The Distressed Lovers assigned to Shakespeare, perhaps fraudulently, by Theobald, in the preface to the first edition, 1728. 26, 27, and 28, Edward II, 1594, Edward III, and Edward IV, 1600, casually listed as Shakespeare's in an early bookseller's catalogue. Edward III was first seriously ascribed to Shakespeare by Capel in 1760. 29. Arden of Fiversham. Shakespearean authorship was first suggested by Edward Jacob in 1770. 30 and 31. King Lear and his Daughters. 1605. And George A. Green. The Pinner of Wakefield. 1599. First attributed by Tiak. 31 is now accepted as Robert Green's. 32, 33, and 34. Wiley Beguiled. 1606. Satiro Mastix, 1602, A Warning for Fair Women, 1599, ascribed to Shakespeare by W. Bernarte in 1856, 33 is by Decker. 35. Sir Thomas More, first printed 1844, Shakespeare's part authorship suggested by Simpson in 1871. From Mr. Simpson's list of doubtful plays may be added for the sake of completeness, 36, The Merry Wives of 1602, 37 and 38, The Prodigal Son and Titus and Vespasian, both preserved only in worthless old German translations, 39, The Lost Hamlet of 1589, and Corambus Hamlet of 1603, 40, The True Tragedy of Richard III, 1st edition, 1594, 41. A Larum for London, or the Siege of Antwerp, 1602. 42. Albomazar, generally accepted as the work of Tomkis, first edition in 1615. From this catalogue, Pericles and Titus Adronicus are designedly admitted because they have established their position in practice, if not in universal opinion, among the genuine works. It is hardly necessary to call attention to the further omission of such transparent and confessed forgeries as Vortigern and Henry II by W. H. Ireland in the 5th of November, or the Gunpowder Plot by George Ambrose Rhodes. Of the 42 doubtful plays just enumerated, only 13 can be regarded as having acquired a real claim to the title. To these 13 is added, in the present volume, Sir Thomas More a play discovered less than a century ago, and destitute, therefore, of prescriptive right of membership. 
Yet the evidence, internal and external, which can be submitted in defense of the pleasing idea that Shakespeare had a reviser's part in the authorship of Sir Thomas More is of so interesting and plausible a nature that no apology seems necessary for its inclusion. The following, then, are the names and earliest dates of publication of the fourteen dramas here reprinted, which alone appear entitled, on grounds either of reason or of custom, to a place among the Shakespeare Apocrypha. 1. Arden of Feversham, 1592. 2. Lochran, 1595. 3. Edward III, 1596. 4. Musidorus, 1598. 5. The first part of Sir John Oldcastle, 1600. 6. Thomas Lord Cromwell, 1602. 7. The London Prodigal, 1605. 8. The Puritan, 1607. 9. A Yorkshire Tragedy, 1608. 10. The Merry Devil of Edmonton, 1608. 11. Fair M. 1st edition not dated. 2nd edition, 1631. 12. The Two Noble Kinsmen, 1634. 13. The Birth of Merlin, 1662. And 14. Sir Thomas More, 1840. The exact likelihood of Shakespeare's connection with any member of this various group must be determined by careful individual examination. On the whole, it may be said, the reader will be impressed more with the unlikeness of the doubtful to the authentic plays than with their likeness. There can indeed be no stronger vindication of the honesty and intelligence of the editors of the first Shakespeare folio, Hemmings and Condell, than careful study of the works which they excluded. As all attempts to deprive the poet of a large interest in any of the thirty-six plays published by them have so far failed, so it seems in the highest degree improbable that their list will ever be augmented by more than the genuine act or two of Pericles, and a few broken fragments which Shakespeare would doubtless have been the last of all men to include among his works. As regards the fundamental matters of plot and dramatic structure, there is no member of the Shakespeare Apocrypha, with the exception possibly of the two noble kinsmen, which displays special kinship with any genuine play. There is not, for instance, a single French or Italian plot to be found in the doubtful group, and except in the case of Musidorus and the two noble kinsmen, the leading characters are invariably English. In the Shakespeare canon, the matter is entirely different. If we leave out of account the ten English histories, we find that fourteen out of twenty-seven genuine works have French or Italian plots, derived usually directly or indirectly from novels, while, with the necessary exception again of the ten histories, the closely associated Merry Wives of Windsor and the three mythical British dramas, not a single authentic play is avowedly English, either in scene or characters. Moreover, seven of the apocryphal dramas belong to a well-defined dramatic species, of which there is not a single instance among Shakespeare's accepted works, and which there is inherent reason for supposing he would have avoided. These species are, one, what may be termed the biographical history, represented by Sir John Oldcastle, Thomas Lord Cromwell, and Sir Thomas More. Such dramas depict in loosely coherent scenes disconnected passages from the life of the hero. Structural chaos is the prerequisite of their existence. To this group belong also the first two acts of Pericles, which are certainly unshakespearean. Two, the dramatic record of contemporary crime, Arden of Feversham, and a Yorkshire tragedy, 
are remarkably fine instances of a class which because it concerns itself primarily with actual physical horror can scarcely rise to the level of high art three comedy of contemporary london manners of which the london prodigal and the puritan are examples this type of drama superlatively interesting to our age for its richness of topical allusion is opposed to the method of shakespeare who sets his realistic sketches against a romantic background and ever condescends like ben jonson and the author of these plays to copy the life before his door in all its uninspiring mediocrity it seems improbable then for many reasons that shakespeare had an interest in the original construction of any of the doubtful plays when we consider the possibility however of his cooperation in the capacity of a reviser or elaborator there is less cause for disbelief during his long and many-sided connection with the stage the poet manager would doubtless have had occasion to retouch and refine much of the inferior work which came to his company several of the canonical plays bear witness that shakespeare did indeed follow this usual elizabethan practice but his acknowledged works would not naturally and do not include his slight or casual revisionary labors it is at present a thoroughly permissible belief though one which can hardly be strengthened into certainty that some of the splendid passages in the best apocryphal plays are thus the hasty and fragmentary creation of the master's hand more exact knowledge as to this and other points of interest can be acquired only if at all from the study of the individual plays to the separate discussion of which we may now proceed end of section two